Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. You listen to the Coaches Panel. Dane Zorko here from the Brisbane Lions. Jason Johannesson from the Western Bulldogs. Luke Parker here from the Sydney Swans. It's Roy Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Max Gorn, Melbourne Football Club. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club, and you're listening to the Coaches Panel. Hello, friends. you got MJ from the Coaches Panel. Number 14 on my 50 most relevant. Tom Mitchell. Man, he overcame some adversity in 2020 to play some pretty decent footy. And many in the fantasy community are hoping that in 2021, he can get himself back to that Brownlow medal year where he really was the best fantasy footballer in the game. To help me talk about Tom Mitchell, I've got Kane on. Hello, mate. Hello, MJ. How are you? I'm good. Look, this guy is fascinating to look at because I think you can, like anything in life, you can probably walk into this episode with some confirmation bias here going, he was a beast in 2018. He came back last year. He suffered the breaking leg. He came back, reconstructed the shoulder. He's going to be amazing. Or you can look and go, yeah, but he didn't bang the door down last year. And now he's got a little injury concern. So I think no matter the way you're looking, it's going to be fascinating to see how people's perspective changes if at all, at the end of this episode. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, MJ. You had two seasons in 2017 and 18 where he came across from Sydney to the Hawks and he was he was just flat-out sensational. You know, 127 and 129 in DT and then just shy of 119 and 129 in Supercoach. You know, those are uber elite easily and, you know, in the mix for the best player in the competition. So you throw in that before that, he hadn't really missed a game. He played, he's played 22 games in 17 and 18. He mustered all 17 games last year. And really the only blimp on the radar is that 2019 season, which we know he missed due to a preseason injury. So the guy's got massive scoring power. He's durable outside of a, you know, a freakish broken leg at training. Yeah. Um, I think the thing now is with Tom is what can he get back to? Yeah. Can he get back to that uber elite, top player in the midfield or is it just the one I say just just, just 115 <laughs> is incredible but you know when we dive back into 2017 and 18 James Warple was only a first year player in 2018 we yeah. know he had a dramatic rise in 2019 with Tom out of the side and now he's come to 2021 and there's a lot of moving pieces in a very unknown midfield group we've got O'Meara Warple Liam Shields is still a key contributor in there. Wingard floated through there. You know, James Cousins is a guy that some Hawthorne fans think, you know, deserves to be in that midfield on a regular basis. And then you throw in, you know, Tom Phillips on the outside. You know, there are some guys that can win their own ball. When you look at the Hawks as a team, when we think about the great Hawks team, they had massive fantasy games. Really good kick mark. That's fallen away. They're one of the worst fantasy teams in the last year. And that makes it really hard for a guy like Tom Mitchell to scale those incredible heights we saw when he first arrived at the club. Yeah, and look, that's exactly where people are going to be hoping he does get towards because he's price status for us in Supercoach. It's 610000 That's based off a seasonal average of 113 In AFL Fantasy, it's at 823 That's off the adjusted average of 107.6. While in DT, just under 800,000. That's because he's at the average of 86.1. But when you do look back at what he can do, boy, there's some monster scores. Even last year, best score of 164 against Carlton in Supercoach. 115 unadjusted 
in Dream Team and Fantasy against the Gold Coast. And then, yeah, you go through that 2018 numbers, they're just huge. Best ever scores of 190 plus across all the formats. But even last year, you you mentioned some of the difficulties of the Carlton Football Club. If you rank his year against others across the AFL format, he still ranked per game second in the league for handballs, fifth for effective disposals, ninth for uncontested possessions, and inside the top 20 per game for contested possessions and stoppage clearances. And to do that off the back of this broken leg, to play every single game, and then, as you mentioned at the top, round one suffers a shoulder injury that ultimately has now required some off-season surgery to repair a dislocated shoulder. is huge. The breakdown of some of his fantasy numbers, 86 in Dream Team and Fantasy, 5 tons plus 5 additional scores of 80+. plus. That's the adjusted 100 we were using last year. He ranked 13th for total points last year, 20th for averages, while in Supercoach, an average of 113 was combined by 12 tons, 5 over 130, and he just had one score under 83 all year ranked 10th for averages amongst all players, and ranked 11th for total points. So to do that off a broken leg, with a bung shoulder, and as you mentioned, in one of, if not the worst, fantasy football sides of the year, it's why coaches look at the data of his 2018 season and beyond and go, I'm getting a value pick, I'm getting a perma-captain, and at a largely, maybe not largely, but a marginally, bargain price. Yeah, well, MJ, if you dive into those team numbers I alluded to, in 2020, Hawthorne was 17th in the competition for fantasy points mm. as a side. You go back to 2017 when he arrived at the club and had a breakout season. They were second. 2018, when he had his career high year, they were fifth. So that's a massive drop as a collective unit. And that's the type of stuff that it does take to be that big scorer. Like, it's super hard to be a top you know, three, four player in the midfield yeah. and your team be right down the bottom. Like it's just, you're pushing so hard uphill and you're working so hard against everything else and you have to get such a big piece of the pie. But it just doesn't really work like that. We've seen in previous years, it's the likes of Collingwood. It's Geelong. Mm. It's GWS. And even if you look at last year, the order was Geelong. We know how many fantasy relevant players they had across the board. Port Adelaide, Travis Boak having a career year at his age, alongside Tom Rockliffe, Collingwood three, Giants four. And you've got the Saints who are a bit more of an even team, but who had a great year when that happened? Jack Steele. So you do need some team support. So I think that does make it hard for Tom to get back to those top tier points. But if you you present any value and you can already be a top eight mid, Mm. you have to be on the table. And that's what Mitchell is. We're talking about a guy that's I think about 10 to 15 points under what his best case scenario is. Again, I see him 120, 122 as his sort of, if everything fell right. Yep. But even MJ, if he just gets up to 112, 113 from a 107, he's presented some value. Yeah. He's in the top eight mid. He's got a friendly buy compared to a lot of his competition at round 12. Absolutely. Again, Supercoach is the one that gives me a little bit of cause for alarm just because Every season outside of 2020, he had a better DT average than Supercoach. Mm. Whereas 2020, interestingly, it was 113.5 compared to his 107 in, in DT. Yeah. So I, when it's 
an outlier in a sense that he's never done that in his career before. And it was a strange year with the shortened quarters. You've got to think that clearly the waiting was playing into that positive differential that Mitchell had. So I don't quite see that same value because, as I said, if I've got him at around 113, 115, that's pretty much exactly what he's going to deliver in Supercoach. And we know that's a, lot, that's a um, scoring format where midfielders can get over that, you know, quite comfortably in the top eight. Like, there's plenty of guys we've got on our radar and in this top 50 that have shown the potential to be 115 plus and some of them even 120 plus. Mm. He's such an intriguing guy because, you know, you look into the the 2020 year and again, it, it depends where you want to start your split of the season. You, if you want to do it from round nine, it can look really, really different as opposed to doing it from the first eight rounds. Like if you just look at the first eight rounds in Dream Team um, and Fantasy, an average of 76.8 and the last nine, a 94.4. You want to play the adjusted averages in that format, that's a 96 as opposed to a 118. In Supercoach, the first eight games, 107, while the final nine games of the year, 118. And, and you look at that and you can go instantly go, well, he's, he's huge value. Like, look how, look, he's finishing the year. How strong he is. This is amazing. But the problem is, it's not pure in the sense of where the buy round was. It's not pure in a sense of where it is. It's just picking a gap because that pivotal ninth game, wherever you want to choose to align it, ultimately can determine exactly what happens because it's in that game. He scores a 107 unadjusted in AFL Fantasy and Dream Team and a 164 in Supercoach, you put that game based on pretty much either's numbers. Well, it changes the it changes the data. It changes the read from all of a sudden of a well, it's a pretty solid season across all ways to all of a sudden he's stormed home. He's going to be massive for us in twenty twenty one. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I actually took out that round nine game just to see if there was an improvement. And it's interesting because these numbers converted in the first eight rounds. He was going at 96 DT, 108 Supercoach. Mm. If you look at from after the buy, around 11 onwards, he went at 116 DT, mm. 113 Supercoach. Mm. So really, he was clearly getting his hands on the ball more. Totally. His tackling was up in the back half of the year. And I think for the eye test, he looked, that's better. What, he looked better. And I think that's what we were drawn to is in those you know, first eight rounds I mentioned, Clearly, he was efficient because he was plus 12 in his supercoach differential. Yeah. I think what got us excited, though, was that it was the pure numbers. He was just getting the ball more. He was tackling more. Again, clearly, it wasn't as clean. But when you also look at it, in those first eight games, Hawthorne won three of them. Yeah. And they beat some pretty good teams, and they played some teams pretty close. You look at after the bye, they didn't win another game until the round 18. Yeah. And when that happened, in that stretch... Tom Mitchell delivered a 130 Supercoach and a 115 unadjusted yeah. in DT. So that's up in the 140s. So it's interesting. Do you, it probably comes into play where you have Hawthorne. You know, we know they've lost James Sicily. Are they a team that's going to be in the bottom four? Are they a team that has enough talent to push for the top eight? I think that's something that's interesting because clearly when you look at Tom's numbers, in Supercoach alone, MJ, in the five wins last year, he went at 130. Yeah compared to 106 in the losses. Yeah. In DT, it wasn't as severe. Again, he went at 90 unadjusted and 84 in the losses. Yeah. So clearly, Tom played better. Or as a result, when, when Tom played well, they won. Whatever chicken and the egg situation you want to believe. But clearly, 
Hawthorne winning like any other team and any other player helps the players get more super coach points. Yeah. Personally, it looks like it's going to be a challenging year for Hawthorne to get out of that bottom six for mine. Just with how everyone else has gone, the players they've lost, and frankly, the situation they're in. We know that they were the dominant club for so long. Yeah. And in a competition that prioritizes equalization, this is probably their turn to regenerate. I think they've got some really good kids. Yep. I really like Will Day. Yeah, me too. Finn McGuinness will get some opportunity. I think there's even guys like Dylan Moore, Scrimshaw, you know, that they can start blooding and really... Yeah. They can exactly they can give them some key opportunities. So yeah. I think that makes it hard for Tom because, as I mentioned, when you look at those key years when he was, you know, the alpha in our midfields, mm. they were a very solid team. You know, they were pretty much... In that peak year, MJ, they had 15 wins, 7 losses. Yeah, in 2017, they had 10 wins, 11 losses, and a draw. Like, they were really in the mix for finals. They were fighting it out all year. You just have to be a bit more cautious that if anything happens in terms of an injury, a niggle, there might not be that desire to push through. And then conversely, there's going to be some trialing of positions and things like that in the back half of the year. So for mine, I've come to the conclusion that I just want to see what happens with Tom. Yeah. I, I, I don't fear the 150 barrage in the first month that he's shown he can deliver in the past. Like we spoke about that yesterday with Josh Dunkley. You know, if everything goes right, he can really take things away from you. Mm. I, I don't fear that as much with Tom at the moment when I hear, you know, the way he's feeling in his body, um, the way he sort of finished last year. Like, again, it's a clear possibility with his scoring potential. We of know how course. good he is. But I'm not... I'm not as fearful of that. And I think the ownership will be low enough that if he does do that, he's probably still in less than 10% of teams. Yeah. So I'm, I'm inclined to just say, let's just have a look at him. Let's see how the first, you know, four, five, six weeks go. You know, by the time you get to about around six, you're looking to make that first real key upgrade. Yeah. You know, is he building? Is he a guy I need to get on quick? Again, no problem with the round 12 buy making him an upgrade around no, the and planning for that because, um, you know, we're probably going to have at least two or three upgrades to go by the time we hit that first buy. He's got some guys that are very good in that round to a buy. You know, Geelong, Gold Coast people, you know, I think Matt Rowe is going to be a very popular player. Looking at AFL Fantasy, he's still the number one player. GWS, you know, plethora of mids. Who knows who will emerge? But other than that, Hawthorne and Port Adelaide, I don't think they're going to take up too many premium spots in your side. So I think a lot of people have room for a Hawk. And I think Tom Mitchell's the clear one with James Sicily not playing. So I don't think you're going to be struggling to get players on the park. So again, if you want to take him as an upgrade around 6-7, I think that's totally fine. If you want to wait post-buy, obviously perfect. He's going to be there for you on the run home. I just want to see how he's going. And as I said, this midfield mix is really intriguing because we didn't see Tom gel with all these players in the past. And there are some guys that really have to play midfield. Mm. There's not like, you don't see O'Meara, or Warple, Shields and Mitchell himself really doing much out of that. Like I thought Chad Wingard was a guy that was quite impressive on the ball. Yeah, he looked but good. The problem with Chad was he's also one of their most dangerous forwards. Yeah. So while that hurt his fantasy game, I think structurally Hawthorne really have the pure mid types. And I just want to see how that mix gels together. Yeah, for me, I I don't have as much scoring or mix concerns. The thing that has has a hesitancy for me is where 
Tom has come out and said, I'm not even sure I'm going to be right for round one. And that is always got to be a flag for fantasy footy coaches. So even if you're bullish on him, even if you're a little bit different to, to Kane, where you're like, no, I, I still think he's a ball magnet. No, I still think I saw enough last year to suggest that even with carrying an injury, even with that broken leg, I still see the scoring upside. Great, fantastic. And, I, and I'm with you for big chunks of that too. But when I hear a player go, oh, round one is going to be a challenge for me to get ready and ripe. Oh, that's where I get scared. Yes, he can do all the athletic components of it. Yes, he can do all the fitness-based side of things. But we've seen now for multiple seasons, we saw Clayton Oliver a few years ago, Patrick Cripps is navigating that, albeit at a much cheaper price this year than others. Chris Judd, Gary Ablett, if you want to go back down the fantasy football hall of fame of players that have done it. It always just puts an element of doubt in a starting squad selection and are they going to start slow? Because at his price point, man, that that's what makes it challenging. You're not getting value really at, out of him as a pick. You might be able to argue he's 10 to 15 points unders, sure. But in reality, I think he's going to be closer to his actual price in terms of his average than back to what he did in 2018. So for me, I think it gets to that interesting point of what do you need to see in the preseason from him to pick him? And that I don't know. The answer to like, does he need to get up from a big tackle? Does he need to take some big bumps in the Amy community series? Does he even need to play the community series? I don't know. So for me, I I would say this, if you're bullish on Tom Mitchell, I see why. And I, and I, and I, and I'll agree with you for 95% of it, that he should be someone right in your starting squad selections. My encouragement for you would be this. What's your backup plan? If things don't work out that he's not named round one, what is your backup plan for him? Because what you don't want to have to do is do overhaul surgery to your sides. You don't want to drastically know everything. So is it a, well, I'll drop Miller down to an Isaac coming. And then all of a sudden, well, I'll pivot and get the money to go get a Josh Kelly. If that's your move, that's your move. Know your backup plan. Because if you don't, that's where you're going to find yourself 24, 48 hours left until the lockout is done. And you've destroyed months of preseason work. Yeah, I think it's a great point, MJ. What are you thinking for draft? Because I think this is a really tricky one because there's there's quite a big reward, clearly, if it goes right. Yeah. Obviously, the flip side is the midfield's such an even line. You know, is there people that you might feel safer about in yeah. the midfield? Again, we're talking about a guy, and this is why he's so high on the list. I don't want to be too negative. Yeah. I feel like we've, we've raised a lot of the critical stuff because, as you mentioned, Tom's come out himself and expressed concerns that round one might not be on the table. But I think what people love about Tom is that you look at what he dealt with last year yeah. and he gave, you a, last year. He gave you a 107. Yeah. Like you listed all the stuff that wasn't right. And I think that's where people go, if this guy can muscle through a 107, mind you, play every game in a draft. We know how important that is. Even five, six points, that's super valuable mix. Like, yeah. we talked about Lockie Neal a few times, and outside of last year, like, Lockie Neal's only really scaled above 107 once. So, you look at what Tom Mitchell did in those circumstances, and you go, this guy just scored. And as a result, I think people have comfort in it can't go very badly. Like, really, I'm probably going to get a 105 mid at worst. And for me, that's why I've got him back end of the first round, start of the second round in DT, and yeah. probably just a half round later in Supercoach 
um, just knowing how his DT score translates to Supercoach. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Look, people will see the name and they'll jump, and and rightfully so. And, and so I don't have him going inside the top 10, but he's gone on the second round. He, he's gone by the end of the second round in, in pretty much every draft format I can perceive. Like, if he even creeps into the third round, man, you've got yourself... Oh, uh, that would be insane. Absolutely insane. That would be insane. Players be... with his ability don't slide. No, and the thing is, there is no real... Again, I said I'm curious about the mix, and that's more the mix of does it limit Tom from going 120 plus again. As you know, opposed to a more, 115. <laughs> exactly. I'm not worried about, you know, what some people are worried about, a Jack McRae yeah. being on the half forward flank and being a 95 guy. Like I'm talking about, clearly Tom handled the mix last year and got to a 107. Yeah. I'm more curious, you know, is that cap him at 110, 115 because there's a James Warple now. There's yeah. an O'Meara that's fit. Like that's why he's so appealing. Is He's so safe. In terms of his role, he's just an absolute magnet. He tackles even with a bunk shoulder. He got that done. So I think, yes, there'll be some people that are a bit concerned about him missing round one. And clearly, if that does get confirmed, he will slide the closer you draft to round one. Of course. But there's not the worry of, oh, is Tom Mitchell going to get the CBAs? Like, he's clearly their best player. Yeah. He's a Brownlow medalist for a reason. And historically, he is one of the competition's best ball winners year on year. Like, that that ability hasn't gone away. That's why I'm not crazy concerned about a shoulder. Like, I, I wonder if that's just Hawthorne protecting Tom from Tom. Yeah. You know, it's going to be a full season. Everything you heard about Tom in previous years is this guy is a maniac at training, getting the ball out. Like, that's why he's so good at it in games, because he practices that. And you just wonder, you know, a guy that's, you know, going to be 28 this year. Is it just time where it's like, Tom, the runs are on the board. You know you can play at this level. We know you can play at this level. Let's just get you to the start of the season as healthy as possible and let you take out this rage of ball-winning ability on the opponents and not the teammates. Yeah, look, I'm a big fan of Tom. I've actually got him in a couple of the formats. I've got him locking away in some of those spots. It's not locked so deep that he can't be moved, but he's there. So I'll tell you, that's how big I think Tom Mitchell could go in 2021. Hey, Kane, appreciate your thoughts today on uh, uh, Beast Mode himself. No problem, Jay. He is an absolute magnet. We've loved him for a very long time. Yes, I think so too. And it's going to be fascinating to see what people do with him. Are you an upgrade target? Are you a starting target? I don't think you're not going to consider him if you're not starting him. I don't think there's a world where you're going, not for me, because you're going to be watching him. Tom Mitchell, he's at number 14. Of the 50 most relevant, if you want to read the article, it's online now for you at coachespanel.tv as well as all the other players we've revealed so far. If you're loving these podcast episodes, whether it be with Kane, Rids, Tim, Fox, the other members of the Coaches Panel, or some of the great guests we've had from the fantasy footy community, make sure you're letting others that play fantasy football formats of the game know about these podcast episodes. Leave a little five-star rating and review because, my friends, we are getting close to the final 10 of the 50 most relevant. Yep, just two weeks left to go till we reveal my number one player for fantasy footy in 2021. Do you think you know who it is? Well, we'll find out soon enough, won't we?